Ah, wow. Well, here's what happens. When you cancel school, there might be more kids in that room than there are women in this room. So someone will have a fist fight in about 12 minutes. Is that right, Mary? <laughs> I can feel it coming, actually. I mean, when you start to hear kids two minutes in getting slammed up against the wall, that's never good. Yeah, that's normal, right. Uh, God bless the Wheaton College students who are working over it. They think they're getting paid big bucks for this. They Little do they know how, what this life is like. All right, two, uh, two important things. As you come, uh, as you come, there are Bibles down here if you need one. Obviously, bring your own if you got one. But are they down here, Jan? Or who asked for them? Down here. Make sure you put them back if you borrow one because the Joy Group, they, like, they take blood samples to take those out. So if you remove it and they don't find it, they'll come track you down. Other thing is, there's always a sign-in sheet. We're trying to keep very accurate numbers about Bible study. Uh, just to, one, see who all is coming. And two, when people say, uh, you know, what's going on at Bible study over there, we can say, well, we had 25 women, we had 30 women, whatever it may be. So please sign in um, and help us there as well. This is the normal format. Uh, for those of you who are new, this is how we're going to do it. 9 a.m. we'll say prayers. Usually we're, I mean, we really don't start till about 9.05, um, which means we're done about 9.15, which means you come down here, you get a cup of coffee. Usually there is a, like a snack sign-in thing over here. Um, I'm not quite sure where that's at, and I don't have the time nor the interest to look that up. So if you want to bring snacks, I'm just going to be honest with you, okay? I'm just going to be honest. So isn't that what you all want, honesty? That's exactly right. Truth. That's exactly right. The truth is, I don't care. So the truth is, um, if you want snacks, someone, you know, just get it going. Just say, I'm going to bring snacks. We can make a sign-in sheet for you. Um, we'll put it over there. Usually what happens is you bake something, you buy something. It doesn't matter. Don't feel compelled. If there are no snacks, it's going to be fine. There's always coffee. We'll usually start about 9.30. We'll go for about an hour. Um, obviously, drop your kids off. Usually we don't meet when there is no school, but since this was the first week, we'll meet. Um, I honestly can say I wouldn't know what to do with this thing. Um, <laughs> but there's enough of you that come down here. No, you don't, although you do drink a lot of coffee. And even at home now, God bless my wife. Every morning at about 5.55 a.m., I hear the coffee machine start. It's like... That's my lovely bride. That's exactly right. All right, so, um, and this, you know, this year, obviously, we didn't give you a book. You remember we've done some books. Some of you liked the book. Some of you didn't. It's always hit or miss. Um, last year, we did the Psalms. That was good. This year, yeah, I think that, and actually, we're going to do that with the Joy Group, I think. So we've got to work all that out. This year, we want to look at some of the sayings of the desert mothers. Some of you, I would presume all of you, have very little idea what that's about. Um, obviously, they're women who lived in the desert, but other than that, you know, what do they have to say? So we're going to look at some of their sayings, but I at least want to build you up to figuring out who these women are, why they're important, and why we're going to read their story. So maybe the first week we can talk about that. Um, you have pretty good groups already right here. Mary, I might ask you to scoot back to that table, and now you back pew people. You're like classic Lutherans, right? <laughs> You never want to come up higher, although that's in the Bible. So you can all sit back there. You might need to talk amongst yourselves. I want you to take, you know, two or three minutes or five minutes or whatever it takes. Take two or three minutes, and at your table, just come up with some words that describe your life today. How would you describe your life? And No, I know. I know. You, and no expletives, please. Um, well, you can say them, but they won't go on the radio. So how would you describe your life? And now here's the good thing. Your tables are kind of mixed up between 
young moms and moms who have kids that are growing up and people who don't have kids. And so these are good tables. Talk about it. What words would you use to describe your life? And I want all of them, okay? So take five minutes and talk about that. You all okay? Now I promise. I See, here's the thing. I'm trying to appeal to everybody in the room. Some of you are saying, just get on with what we're going to talk about. We will. Some of you are saying, can we talk some more? We'll get there too. Uh, is that right? Yeah, exactly. I, believe me, I know how this game works. I, I've done it enough. I know exactly how this works. All right, so um, how, what did you come up with? Just start back here in the corner. Give me, give me adjectives. Give me whatever you want. How would you describe your life at present? Now, see, here's the first thing. Here's how I describe my life. I want markers that work. One, where's the vicar? <laughs> here's the thing. He's always the scapegoat. It's like, oh, why don't the markers work? Blame it on the vicar. All right, so how would you describe your life at present? Just start. Go ahead, Lindsay. You've always got some good ideas. I thought you were going to use some gardening terminology, actually. Couldn't quit. Yeah, growing. Pruning. Yeah, okay. Grateful. That's good. Grateful. What else? Cleaning. Okay. Okay. Not exactly what I expected from the first table, but good. We'll keep going. Fun. You guys are lying right now. This is not true. Come on, this thing, this whole thing depends upon you giving me the answers I want, and these are not them. Chaotic, finally someone does what I ask. This is great. Chaotic, thank you very much, and you win the prize for today. There's a $5 gift card upstairs waiting for you. Keep going, keep going. Back table, it can't all be this good. I mean, I know, if looking at that table, you... To explain... Bittersweet, sorry. Bittersweet. Now they're going to describe what that means. To them, at least. So you're, you're, you're limiting this to just your children, not to your husband. I just want to be sure. Okay, good. Good. I just want to be certain. Okay. Because I may talk to him later today. Okay, yeah. I, no, I'm talking about whatever you want to talk about. Yeah. <laughs> yes, there is. Good. What? Okay, good. Bittersweet. There are bitter moments. There are sweet moments. Good. What else? Contented? I don't actually know how to spell contented. Good. Okay, what else? Go to the go to the back pew. What is the back pew? You're all like Yeah, let's somebody be honest with me this morning. Lonely? Okay. All right. Now, before you walked in, I said no expletives, okay? I know. I was. This is great. I was at the gym the other day, and this woman who was in the catechumen was there, and she starts, you know, I've known her for a long time, and she says, I'm going out on this date. I said, I said, well, how did the first one go? She said, not good. I said, you didn't like it? She said, hell no. And the whole gym just stopped talking. They all look at us like, this is Wheaton College, remember? You don't swear we, if you're not on, on a bike with a Bible, you've got something wrong. So keep going. How about from the back row? Lonely, good. Economically challenging, okay. Let's just say challenging. Challenging. What else? Keep going. No, you don't all have to give me one. I mean, anybody, speak up. 
Gratitude? Grateful? Okay. Yeah, that sort of sums it up. Anything else? Callaher, you're talking a lot back there. What do you have for the whole group? Gotcha. Okay. Okay, good. Mary, you're tired of this already? It's only eight minutes in. All right, anything else from the back row? Grateful, challenging, economically hard. What else? You don't have to. This table, what do you have? Good. <laughs> oh, boy, slow down. Invasive technology. Yeah, what else? Yes, that's a tough one. Let's put that up here. Okay, anything else? Yeah. That is very, very true. Um, it's amazing the vocabulary a three or four-year-old can have these days. It's stunning. It's scary. Like what did Emma, Emma said this morning, I'm having an anniversary. Who's baking the cake? I said, with whom? She named the boy. I said, really, an anniversary? Yes, we're having an anniversary. I said, why don't you bake the cake? She said, no, if it's your anniversary, you don't bake the cake. <laughs> Where do you learn this from? Not from me. Uh, so yeah, like I'll give you an example. The other night, I had Hell's Kitchen on, one of my favorite shows. Hell again. I love it because he says to them what I would. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, that was a joke. Uh, Hell's Kitchen was on, and Abby said, "You can't. We can't watch that." No, I said they bleep out all the swear words. She's like, "Well, you know, then your kid just bleeps all the time." <laughs> so, what else from the back? Yes, very true. Illness and loss, right? Death, loss of or broken relationships. Those are huge losses. Yeah, exactly. Exactly right. And all those things that, to a certain extent, break or harm relationships. If you lose your job, that that it can strengthen a relationship, but oftentimes it, it harms it. It's tough on a marriage. It's tough on kids. Anything else from back there? Yeah, I think we got happy, involved, busy. Yeah, that's, yeah, it's all wrapped up in grateful. Good. What about from this table? This is the one I've been looking forward to. You are. This is so good. Crazy. Normal. Let's see. Hectic. Painful. What's the last one? Change. Yes, yes, yes. Change. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Change. Worrisome. Good. How many of you young moms worry a lot? Yeah. Okay. Anything different? <laughs> that is good imagery. That's why I love you. Settling dust. That's why I love whoever said it. Settling dust. Okay. Anything else? That's all you came up with in seven minutes? Okay. <laughs> All right, all right, okay. All right, now I got well, let me ask you this as we break it down here. Do you think there is, um, do you think these could be broken down by age or place in life? Like, for instance, not all, no, you're exactly right, not all of them. All of you would say at some point you're grateful or you're blessed or you're happy. But some of these other ones, like I heard very few people who are retired saying um, worrisome. Doesn't mean you don't, but it's not, it's not really what defines you. Or uh, 
you know, uh, let's see, chaotic. Well, you didn't say it. Here's the thing. You guys, you didn't, none of, all the people who were in the room who, well, I shouldn't say all, the people who were in the room who are at a point of retirement, I think, didn't say these. Now, maybe you didn't say them because they are already on the board. Good. Well, that's why I said it. Anything else? Okay. So on the board, chaotic. So all of you are all these things is what you're saying. Good. Okay. Now, I, I don't know. Let's ask the group. Settling dust. What does that mean? Good. Now, take five minutes and describe your ideal life. Ideal life. If you didn't have things, that, if you could pick and choose, I know it is. It's harder, actually. Take five minutes and say, what would your life ideally look like? That enough time? That enough time? All right, here we go. Uh, tell me, tell me what your ideal life would look like. What would your ideal life look like? Let's start at this corner now, since they got ragged on for not having any other, any other answers. Go ahead, back corner. What do you have? What would you just describe your ideal life to me? Yes. Okay. Paid in full. Good. Describe peace to me. Not you necessarily, but someone describe peace. What do you mean by peace? We always say that in the church. You know, it comes around at Christmas time, comes around at Easter time. What does peace mean? What does that mean? Lack of fear. That's good. It might mean more than that, but that's part of it. And why is fear a bad thing? It eats at you. And, and here's the other thing. This is, yeah, this is why fear is sin. Fear is a sin because who is fear always concerned with? Utterly self-centered. Right? It's other, and, and even when you say, well, I'm fearful for my kids, deep down, that fear somehow relates back to you. So fear is, you know, there, uh, some people talk about, you know, fear can be a good thing. In the church, fear is never helpful. You should never be afraid of anything. Right? Lack of fear. What else does peace mean? Yes. Yeah. That's good. Let's just say incarnation. Yeah. Yep. Okay. Anything else? Yeah. Yep. No, you can't. That's exactly right. You can't. Exactly right. You're exactly right. Just because it's wrong doesn't mean it just goes away like that. So it's, well, take this medication and call me in a week. No, uh, you, have to be, you have to be in the play. You have to touch things then that give you peace. If peace is the antidote to fear, you have to touch things that give you peace. So where is peace found? In church? In scripture? In the sacraments? In the word? Among Christian friends? You have to be in contact with peaceful things. Because then what happens is when you walk out of church, you go back to a world that makes you scared again. Am I going to lose my job? My kid's going to be hurt. What about my marriage? Gosh, I can't pay my car bill. So you have to come to a place where it's all peace, 
get filled up and go back out and then confront a world where it's trying to scare you all the time. There are monsters, I mean, there are monsters all over, under your bed, right? There are monsters in your closet, there are monsters at work, there are monsters in your checkbook. All those things are trying to scare you. So you have to be in contact with peace. But it never goes away fully until you're at the place where there's nothing to fear. Heaven. There's always something in the world to fear, but once you get to heaven, there's nothing to fear. Adam and Eve, before the fall into sin, they have nothing to fear. They walk around. That's why it says not only were they naked because they weren't ashamed, they were naked because they had nothing to worry about. They had nothing to fear. We'll get to that in a second, though. Okay? What else? Anything else from that group? Yeah. Good. Family. I had a great, um, I was given a paper in Baltimore last Saturday. A guy picked me up at the hotel. It's, it's, I mean, you, well, a guy picks me up at the hotel, and, um, of course, I expect this ride's going to be paid for. They said, we'll pay for it. I get in the cab, and the guy says, sorry, it's not paid for. Sorry, guy, you got to fork over money. And he tells me a story. He's a Haitian, Haitian-born, who's become an American citizen, uh, came over here like 15 or 20 years ago, and started a master's degree and something else. And then he was in a PhD program in business. He was working in the mortgage industry, lost $800,000 in mortgage and home investments. He said, we're completely bankrupt. His wife is Haitian. She's a nurse. And um, he tells me this whole story and how he's trying to help people back home. He sends $100 a month back to Haiti. And I said, I said, what does $100 a month do? And he said, you can buy rice for my whole family. I said, well, how big is your family? Well, he said, well, I only have two brothers and one sister back there, but all my neighbors are my family. The people that live within one square block are considered family. So one night my mom makes dinner, one night his mom makes dinner, one night, and we just, my mom would always say growing up, okay, I made three plates of rice. Now walk the rice down to that house, that house, and this one stays here. I said, gosh, that's the way the Bible speaks of family. Family's bigger than your own. So I said to him, getting out of the, out of the van, he said, that's $25. I said, make it 125 and send 100 back to Haiti. He's like, I'll give you a ride for free next time. I said, you won't see me again. <laughs> I said, but send this back to Haiti. So you're exactly right. Family, but relationship, at least for us Americans, may be better because family is bigger than people who live in your own house. Okay? What else? You're okay? How about this table? Yes, good. Yep, trusting and confident. Okay? Yeah, good. All of us? Yep. Uh, yes. Let's just say first commandment kind of folks. That's exactly right. See how all these things fit in the proper order? It's like, it's like taking your medicine. It really is. If you do this and this and this, then this will happen. If you don't do this, that won't happen. <laughs> I'll say on Sunday at Bible study, it's all about choices. And I'll say one thing. You can choose a lot of stuff. You can't choose the consequences. Think about that in life. You can choose a lot of things. One thing you can't choose are consequences. 
So you have to choose wisely so you get the result that you need or you want or that Jesus wants because you can't fix that. Uh, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. I just wear this. Get you out of anything. Maybe you think they don't care, but you should be with me sometime when it happens. No, I'm kidding. How about that table right back there? Yeah, time. Which goes, which is sort of the antidote to chaotic, right? Or at least one of them. Very good. Yep, right. It is very true. I mean, I, I, you don't have to ask them, but I presume it's the same with me. The worst feeling is when you get home, you're ready to just relax, and your cell phone email starts beeping, especially for someone like your husband who's always getting emails. I'm getting hundreds of emails. There are 487 unopened emails in my box. That'll take me a year to get through. And, that, and I'm good at emailing back. But I hear that thing. And those aren't junk. That's like people that want a response or want you to know something. It makes your heart sink when you hear it at 10 o'clock at night. So, and I can't just turn it off, you know. It's bad. It really, really is bad. My greatest experience was um, when I was in Scotland, my phone didn't work because I didn't get service. So I could only check email once a day from the pub that had free Wi-Fi. Now, you might get 80, but you weren't hearing the beep, beep. Okay, there they are, 12 new ones, you know? Yes. We are very self-aware. We are not always aware of others. I agree. It gets back to the fear issue. It gets back to all those things. But you're exactly right. We're very aware of ourselves. We're not very aware of others. Um, good. I can, you know what? I completely get it. Everybody's angry at somebody. I know. I know. It's a vice. I know. I know. Yes. Yes, they do. They think communication is done by screaming at someone. Yeah, I, no, I completely agree with you. <laughs> yeah. I, I, had a, I, had, I was in the airport the same trip. I'm standing in line going through security, which you know they're not, you can't find angrier people on the earth than you will in a security line. At Midway, now Midway, everybody says is great, and this woman behind me, very nice woman, is saying, I only come to Midway because this is supposed to be faster, and look at this line, and, you know, I'm just kind of, yeah, I know, I know. But a great thing, there was a Brit in front of me, and, an, and obviously an American next to us, and you know how Brits are. Brits, if they do anything well, is they're always calm. They can fire you and be calm. They can yell at you and be calm. That's classic British behavior. But it was great to watch this exchange because there was a Brit in front of me, an American next to me, and the guy, the American, cuts across his line and says to the British guy, can I get in front of you? Because we were starting to move more quickly. 
And he just looks at him and says, why would I let you go ahead of me? And he said, well, because I'm busy, and you should just be a kind person. And, that's what, and he starts yelling at him, <laughs> like going against everything he's trying to say to the Brit. And the Brit says, well, you're yelling at me, and you don't know that I might be just as busy as you are, and my flight might be leaving just as quickly. Well, that, see, that's the problem with you, and you're not going to let me go. And so finally the guy's like, if it's that big of a deal, I'll let you step in front. But if you can learn something from the Brits, it's be calm, don't yell, don't react. I mean, this guy, it was, it was very, very well done. And the other guy, of course, went off the handle. So who knows if he made his flight or not. So good. No anger. What else? <laughs> good? Yeah? Yeah. That's right. What about from the back pew, from this table, or from this table? Yep. Good. Yeah. So it's spiritual maturity, not just maturity. I mean, there are lots of mature 15-year-olds. Exactly. Good. <laughs> well. Right. Good. Spiritual maturity, great. And that, just so you know, is the reason we have a catechumenate. It's ongoing spiritual maturity. What else? <laughs> you must have boys. <laughs> no fighting. Yeah, that's true. No talking. As Emma said to me the other day, I said, go to the timeout chair. She comes out, and she said, you and I need to have a talk. I said, no, I'll talk, and you'll listen. No, Daddy, we need to talk. I said, okay. What are you going to do? All right, no fighting, no talking back. What else? <laughs> Does your husband work with money? Financial freedom. Okay? No whining? What else? Yeah, whining just drives me nuts. I can't take it. Yeah. Yeah, so reconciliation would be more mercy. So let's just, good. So let's just say uh, justice and mercy. Yep. Agree. Yeah, they, aren't, they ain't going to happen magically. No. Yeah, lots of people want nice things, but unless you actually do something about it, it's never going to happen. And that's the problem with idea people. There are lots of idea people, and there are lots of busy people. Busy people do a lot, but they ne I shouldn't say never. If you're categorizing, which I'm going to do for the sake of demonstration, there are busy people who don't always think their things through but always are busy, and there's idea people who always have good ideas but never, fill, never carry them all the way through. We have to be busy and ideal. This was a sermon from like three weeks ago where I said, you know, he acted wisely. It's thinking stuff through and then carrying stuff through. It's thinking and doing. It's all together. So exactly right. What else? Anything? Yeah, good. Good. Yes, it is. Yes, it is. 
It always stuns me how people can look so angry coming down from the Eucharist. That's just, that's a sad thing. Anything else? Yes, exactly. Yeah, it must. That's right. What else? We won't yell at you, I promise. Anything else? All right, good. This is all a good lead-in then to the Desert Mother. So let me give you this handout. We'll look at a couple pages. Three, two, three. There you go. Now, I don't expect you to buy this book, partly because I haven't read the whole thing, and I don't, uh, real honestly, I don't want you to waste your money if it's not going to be good, although this got a great recommendation. I'll tell you where we heard about this. Pastor Bruzik and I went to Matt Harrison's installation as the Bishop of the Synod, and uh, while there, John Kleinig, who preached here, came and met us. We picked him up from the airport. It was a great time. So we had six hours, basically, in the car ride home to talk with Kleinig. Of course... Uh, Pastor Bruzek slept for about three hours. Uh, I, of course, being the young guy, had to drive the whole time. Uh, but Kleinig and I were just going back and forth my dissertation and, and saints and prayers and all these sorts of things. And he said, a book you all ought to read is The Sayings of the Desert Mothers. He said, have you heard of that? And we said, well, we've heard of the Desert Fathers. And the Desert Fathers are much more famous. These are guys who in the early church basically led a, a monastic life out in the wilderness, out in the desert, Mount Sinai. You know, there's so many monasteries on Sinai. This is where these people lived, and some of the greatest writings in church history come from the Desert Fathers. But he said, there's a great group of women who have done exactly the same thing. They've gone out, they've lived in monasteries, they've gone out to the desert, and they've written these great things from a uniquely feminine perspective. And we said, could we read it with our women's Bible study? He said, ah, Oh, I don't know. We said, well, there's a very sophisticated group. He said, okay, read it with the women. So what I want to do is partly I'm giving you this because I trust Kleinig implicitly. Partly I don't want you to buy the book because I'm going to copy everything you need, as will Pastor Bruzek. And if we get to a point where we all say, let's move on, then you're not stuck with a $16 book. Okay? But um, the reason we're going to read The Desert Mothers is my guess, as we look through this, and I'll show you some examples here, the Desert Mothers in the early church, this is right after the time of Christ, came from a life that could be categorized or described much the same way you described your life here. Now, that was 2,000 years ago. But if you haven't figured this out, you should very quickly. The postmodern world is strikingly similar to the world of the early church. What we're causing them problems, the economic crisis, you know, wars, the way people fought with each other, strikingly similar to the world of the early church. So their lives, we'll see, are described much the same way you described your life. Worrisome? Yeah, they were grateful. Yeah, they, you know, they had some fun. But they were chaos. It was bittersweet. People died. They fought. All these things can describe their life. And here, many of these things described what they were after in life. This is very, you haven't even read the book, but you'll see this. The things I put stars next to are things they specifically talk about. Justice and mercy, spiritual maturity, aware of others, time, simplicity. This might be the key to all of it. Peace, family, relationships, all those things are things that these women were after. Now, flip your page, flip open to page seven, if you would. I want to show you four short bits here. First, the life of these women. And you've got to be thinking now, what do you know about, uh, you know, the time immediately after the time of Jesus? So I'm talking, you know, uh, first century, 
uh, uh, but I'm talking like 30, 40 A.D. all the way up until the time when Christianity was legal, 313 A.D. What do you know about those 300 years? Anything? Yeah, tons of persecution, especially persecution if you were what? A Christian. What do you know about society? Who dominated society, men or women? Men dominated society. So, and we'll, we'll see this, I think. Women played a vital role in Christianity, especially deaconesses. This is where deaconesses started. They started in the early church because it was a patriarchal society. If a priest came up to the house and knocked on the door, the man of the house came and said, get off my property. If a woman came to the door who maybe had a nursing background, an education background, what would she say? Let me come in and talk to your wife and kids. Okay, come on in. Well, guess what? You know this from relationships now. You get the wife, you get the husband and the children. Exactly. Exactly right. I mean, what's that, uh, what's, uh, what's that movie, My Big Fat Greek Wedding? What does she say right before the wedding? The husband may be the head, but the woman is the, the neck. Yeah, exactly right. That's very true. Okay, that's very true. If you get a, a house full of, of kids and the wife, you're bound at some point to get the husband. So women, in many respects, were responsible for the spread of Christianity. This is what it's all about. Now, look at page 7. Actually, you know, flip to page 8. That'll be a better section. Now, I've given you a color copy. I did mark some stuff as I read through. If it's in red, that means it's important. I have this great pencil that's got red on one end and black uh, lead on the other end. If it's in red, that's something you want to cite in a paper someday. If it's got an NB next to it, that means note well. That means like very, very important, okay? Persecution, martyrdom, and a deep desire for meaning. Now think about those words, persecution. How many of you feel persecuted as being a Christian sometimes? You're maybe not killed, but remember, persecution is bigger than being killed. It's a struggle. Martyrdom, that just means giving a witness. It doesn't necessarily mean you're killed either. Martyria is to give a witness. How many of you feel it a struggle sometimes to give a witness to your faith or a witness to the faith expressed in this congregation, very liturgical, very sacramental, especially if you live in Wheaton. Think about it. You're an oddball in Wheaton, right? And a deep desire for meaning. I mean, now, this you don't have to raise your hand, but how many of you have a deep desire for meaning in life? I know you got kids. I know you got a spouse. I know you got all these things, but you still sit at home and you say what? Gosh, I wish my life meant something. All I am, I'm just a babysitter. I'm just a cook. I'm just a cleaning lady. Maybe not all of you, but my guess is some of you say, I wish I had more meaning in life. Persecution, martyrdom, and a deep desire for meaning fueled Christians' ardent passion and their willingness to pay a high price to follow Christ. This influenced their spirituality, their search for a challenging and personally fulfilling spiritual journey. Think about that. A challenging and fulfilling spiritual journey. That's why you're all here. They follow the Jewish custom of praying several times a day. Now, I know what you're going to say. I don't have time for that. You probably don't. But we've got to start somewhere. And some began to pursue intense lives of prayer, fasting, voluntary poverty, and deprivation, silence, and deep prayer became a way of living a continuous martyrdom once the persecutions ended. That's fascinating. Once Christianity was legalized and people stopped being killed for the faith, what do these women want? To still live as martyrs. Isn't that fascinating? They didn't want to be killed, but they wanted to live a life of one who gives a constant witness to Christ. How do they do it? Fasting, deprivations, prayer, intense spiritual life. 
And we'll, we'll talk about these things, okay? But I just want to give you, I want, this is the big setup, all right? Now, how do they learn the way? Look at page 11. So this is what their life was like, and this is what they wanted. But how do they learn the way? You know with your kids, how do your kids learn to speak? They listen to other people talk, right? They listen to you talk, primarily. So if you're always swearing at home, your kid's going to grow up and swear, right, exactly. So, and if you, you, you know, if you have bad grammar, your kids are going to grow up and have bad grammar. So the way parents speak is very important. It's the same thing in the church. Those who decided, page 11, entrance to the desert or monastery, those who decided to dedicate themselves to the aesthetic life sought a spiritual elder. And Amma or Abba. Abba, of course, means what? Father. And Amma means mother. Yeah, so if you were a woman, you found a spiritual mother. If you were a man, you found a spiritual father. Partly this was for propriety's sake. If you're a woman in the early church, you're not going to be caught dead alone with a man. If you're a man, you're not going to be caught dead alone with a woman. All right? This was someone seasoned in this sort of life who was known to have reached a level of maturity, spiritual maturity, and wisdom and had experience in teaching by example, exhortation, story, and instruction. How are people, how do people learn best in today's world, do you think? Postmodern world, how do they learn best? Education, what kind of education? This kind of education? Hands-on, which means they watch someone else do it. Example, story, okay? You want to teach your kids how to pray? You don't say to them, Take this booklet, read this booklet, and then say your prayers. You say, come with me, I'm going to pray. Very simple. Okay? Look at the bottom of page 11. A deep spiritual bond formed as the woman, Amma, taught more often by example than by words. The disciple, that's all of you, prayed as the Amma prayed. You listened to her, you said her words. The disciple worked with the Amma, weaving baskets, rope, and cloth, and distributing alms to the poor as the Amah did. Aesthetics were continued, committed to supporting themselves completely by the work of their own hands. The rejection of Roman social status included rejecting unearned wealth from the labor of slaves and servants. Look at uh, the middle, uh, three quarters of the way down to that page, the desert way. The desert way of Amah and disciple was one of hard work. Here's the thing, you and me both, if we think becoming a faithful disciple of Jesus is going to be easy, we got it all wrong. A lifetime of striving to redirect, listen to this, redirect every aspect of body, mind, and inner world toward God. These amas were practiced in peeling back the layers of silence, pierced to the core the hearts of fellow seekers, and laid bare for them the voice of the living God. Now one more bit, top of page 13. They cultivated simplicity in their lifestyles. What did you ask for? Simplicity. The only way you're going to hear the Lord is if your life becomes more simple. They cultivated simplicity in their lifestyle, including simplicity in their emotions and in their attitudes. You ever met people who emotionally are just all over the place? One day they're happy, one day they're sad, they're always angry, they're up, they're down, they're crazy. Part of the spiritual journey was to even people out. There are lots of ways to do that. One way is prayer, meditation. They sought to be mindful and intentional about their actions. How many of you think about times when you change a diaper or when you go to the store grocery shopping? 
They sought to be mindful and intentional about their actions. They were attentive to how they washed clothing and utensils and how they spoke to one another. Mindlessness, this is great, mindlessness was the enemy of the inner journey. To do things mindlessly, you know, just by rote memorization. You get up in the morning, you hit the button on the coffee. Guess what? If you're not thinking about it, what happens? Who has a chance to enter in? Satan, right? Mindlessness was the enemy of the inner journey. So next time you wash dishes, think, uh, you know, this is, this is what the Lord has called me to do at this particular time, to be mother, to be wife. Next time you start the coffee at Friday Morning Women, this is what the Lord has called me to do. There's nothing mindless about the Christian life. We're not robots. We're human beings. Okay? Now, the question is, can we be like them? That's the question of the day. Look at page 18. Very bottom. The stories of the Amaz paint a, por a portrait of colorful, powerful, loving, and generous women. When you think of women who devote themsel themselves to prayer, to fasting, to deprivations, to living in the desert, do you think of colorful, powerful, loving, and generous? Probably not. <laughs> do you think of boring, pietistic, out of touch with reality? Certainly not like all of you. Guess what? They were loving. Powerful, generous, and colorful. They had personality. They could be opinionated. I don't know any women who are opinionated, just so you know. <laughs> they could be opinionated and at times seem harsh to our modern ears. We're going to read their stuff. These amas did not allow cultural norms and expectations for women to thwart their call, nor to limit their pursuit of God. No one should ever say to you, you're a woman, so you can't be that close to the Lord. Remember, who comes and wants to touch his garment right after the resurrection? Mary Magdalene, who was not only a woman, but was also a sinner, a big sinner. Their lives were as prophetic as their rarely spoken words. So how do they prophesy? Through their actions. Top of the next page. The Amaz were passionate and single-hearted in their desert journey. They spoke frankly, openly, and boldly to disciples, pilgrims, to church, and secular leaders. They listened to and proclaimed the signs of their times. They were gifted and committed. Listen to all these things. Gifted and committed to their call. Generous, self-giving, and liberated. The desert mothers were determined and intentional about their journey toward God. They were courageous, purposeful, prayerful, single-minded, discerning, and responsive to the needs of those around them. This is aware of others. They lived the gospel call. This is the best. Seeking to incarnate God's present in their presence in their midst. How is God present in the world today? He's present in all of you. Okay? I want to read you one of their, just a section to sort of get you to come back next week. Look at page 20. The first, oh, I'm sorry, I didn't give that to you. Sorry. I put it on the printer and only printed till 19, and I had to make a separate copy. So, uh, would you take half those and just kind of, I'll start on the other side, if you can start on this side. <coughs> this is from one of the Amaz. This is from one of the spiritual mothers, okay? And this is who we're going to read from, both the mothers and from the women. Is someone sitting here? All right, so 
yes, the good question. Let me, um, yes, oftentimes these were monastic women. The question is sort of what sort of lives did they live? Oftentimes they were monastic women, but as you'll see if you take that bit home that I gave you, I actually copied you like the first two chapters. Take that home and read it, and you'll see that they were heavily involved in society. So it wasn't like they lived out in a monastery and never saw anybody. They were, maybe they slept there, but they were always in touch with reality. So that's important. Desert spirituality. This one Amah said, whatever we do or gain in this world, now remember she's writing to women, whatever we do or gain in this world, let us consider it insignificant in comparison to the eternal wealth that is to come. We are on this earth as if in a second maternal womb. Isn't that great? In that inner recess, we do not have a life such as we have here. For we, for we did not have there solid nourishment such as we enjoy now. Nor were we able to be active as we are here. And we existed without the light of the sun and of any glimmer of light. That's in the womb. Just as then, when we were in that inner chamber, we did without many of the things of this world, so also in the present world we are impoverished in comparison with the kingdom of heaven. We have sampled the nourishment here. Let us reach for the divine. We have enjoyed the light of this world. Let us long for the sun of righteousness. Let us regard the heavenly Jerusalem as our homeland. Let us live prudently in this world that we may obtain eternal life. Isn't that brilliant? The goal of the, of the Christian woman's life is not to give up everything, but to give up everything that might take the place of Jesus. So that as she says here, let us, let us search after, let us strive after the divine. Every day you wake up should be a day when you strive after being joined more concretely, more deeply to the life of the divine nature of Jesus, to who he is as God in the flesh. Eucharist, this is where it happens, at the Eucharist. This is why, for those of you who are new, all I'm going to talk about is the Eucharist. The Eucharist is everything. This is the life to which God is calling you, and if you read the Desert Fathers, calling me, calling all of us. So the question is, this sort of monastic life, can we have that here and now? That's the question. That's what we want to chase the next few weeks. Can we have that life here and now? And I'll just, I'll just tip my hand and tell you, I think we can. And in fact, what I would love to see is that this community, and understand this correctly, we're transformed into a monastic community. I don't mean you all come and wear habits and sleep overnight here. That's not what I mean. But what I mean is a community that is defined by prayer, by giving things up for Christ, by living courageously, and by striving after the divine. Can we be that sort of community? Okay? That's what we're after. Questions? Yeah. There's always a struggle. The struggle is what what the church fathers, and frankly, many people after them, and you see this even in the scriptures, would refer to as the now, not yet. Okay? We've talked a lot about this. Eden is present now, with angels and archangels and all the company of heaven, right? So we've talked a lot about this. That's very true. But something greater will come, which is the not yet. It's always good to sort of Reflect on what you've talked about. Like I can, I can give you another example which will help you understand this. When I first came five or six years ago, all we ever talked about was the pastor is the hands and feet of God. Nothing else. All you need to know about the pastor is hands, mouth, and feet. That's one way of viewing the pastor. 
But that's because there was a particular problem in Wheaton, which was the pastoral office is no different than any, anybody else. Now we've gotten to a point where people entrust themselves to the care of a pastor. And there actually is more to a pastor than hands, mouth, and feet. His being, his existence, his ordination, all of that. So now we need to talk about other things. Same thing here. We've talked about the now. We should talk a little more about the not yet. So there is something to wait for in this life. This is why St. Paul, he uses the same imagery. He says, you know, creation groans as if in childbirth for the coming of the kingdom of God. So you have it all now, and in some sense you don't have it all now. The Eucharist is a place where heaven drops down to earth, but there are certain things you don't have. You don't see Christ face to face in the same way you will when Eden comes again. Okay? Good question, though. I think you're, you're right in this. We would say it differently. I don't know if it's, if, it's, if it's correct to say many of them were striving to earn their way to heaven. The difference is we're speaking two different languages. Yeah, exactly. So here's the thing. Remember, these women are 34 A.D. to, let's say, 313 A.D. Okay? When did the Reformation happen? No, 450. The Reformation wasn't that early. <laughs> May the Queen of Angels have mercy. 15, yeah, 15, yeah, let's just say, yeah, 1530-ish, okay? 1530. There's a heck of a lot of time between 313 and 1530. You can't read the Desert Mothers with this lens, or you're always going to be angry, and you're always going to say, that's not Lutheran. Guess what? I'm going to tell you a little secret. There was no Lutheran church in 313 A.D. There was one church. In fact, at that time, there wasn't even East and West. That was 1040. There's one church, the Catholic Church. Not the Roman Catholic Church, the Catholic Church. So if we read through this lens, we're always going to be disappointed. We need to read it in their context, and then as we speak to people in the world, interpret it for them in a 21st century way of speaking. Okay? Because you're exactly right. You can't go off to someone in the world to say, say, strive after the divine. They'll have no idea what that means. You know what the problem with Lutherans is? Lutherans read everything through this lens, and guess what? When they speak to people today, in what language do they speak? 1530. Guess what? People don't, this isn't 1530. Okay? It's the 21st century. Speak to people like they're 21st century human beings. And that's part of, that's part of this life is learning the language. Okay? Anything else? We've got about two minutes left. Let me ask you, just, I mean, you can just nod along or say, is this going to be okay? Are you guys happy to read these selections from the mothers? Okay, good. And believe me, we're going to bring in scripture. We're going to do other things. We don't want to just go away from the text of scripture, but it's always good to get back to some other bits of reading, okay? When you come back next week, I'm sure it will be Pastor Bruzek. I think it will be. Um, and he will, I'm sure, I think. Uh, and we will, we will print off whatever you need to read. Sometimes we'll read it in real time. If you want, read this. You'll find some things that will stun you in here, like women have the ministry in the early church. We can talk about that. She doesn't give you all the facts, but she gives you the facts she wants to give you. We'll talk about that. Um, and then uh, we'll print off whatever you might need, okay? All right, let's pray the Lord's Prayer, and we'll be on our way. Lord, remember us in your kingdom and teach us to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, 
and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Thank you for coming.